The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS NFL Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with Tyler Sullivan and John Breach. Today is our AFC Key Post Draft Move Show. Make sure you keep it tuned with us all week long for more off-season news. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. For everyone listening to the audio version only, make sure you download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. Fellas, um, I know every once in a while I'll, I will bring basketball into this, but I don't know if y'all watched the game last night between the Suns and the Nuggets when Jokic inadvertently, purposely, I don't know, pushed the um, the Suns uh, owner over when he was on the sideline trying to get a ball from. And I thought to myself, you know, if this was Draymond Green, he would be he would be out of the game and suspended. And I think obviously your reputation has so much to do with this. Like we looked at Embiid almost like stomp some guy's head out and he didn't get um, ejected from the game or get suspended. Do you think that reputation is more valuable in basketball or in football? Um, it de- I think it depends on, again, of course, for football, it depends on the position. It depends on the status. Like I almost equate it to. A guy like Tom Brady getting the pass or the roughing the passer yes. call when it's, yes. you know, someone places a feather on his helmet as opposed to somebody like Tuatunga Velo who gets rocked and nothing happens. Yeah. I mean, to that point, just imagine if this happened in an NFL game where, you know, sometimes we'll see the owners on the sideline, yes. Jerry Jones, Brady, say Brady takes a hard hit at the sideline, gets up and kind of gives Jerry a shove. Brady's probably not going to face a suspension, but if you put, say, Antonio Brown in that situation, he's going to be suspended for five years. Uh, He's done with football, even though he's already done with football. So I think it absolutely depends. Character plays a huge part in situations like this. I just feel like they give, you know, fouls, technicals, suspensions out in the NBA way more than they do. Uh, in the NFL, maybe because it's it's a contact sport versus a non-contact sport. But yeah, it's interesting how your reputation can uh, precede you, I guess, if you will. Man, pushing an owner is crazy. This is the NBA is going, it's turning into WWE. 
It's like Stone Cold and Vince McMahon right there. Gotta, it is. Gotta, well, you had Draymond pushing off on someone's chest and they had Embiid stomping someone's head out. It's, it does seem like the WWE. We're going to get like uh, Mark Cuban with those like rock'em, sock'em, robot <laughs> type of things going on. I mean, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that either. Okay, so let's uh, let's get into football here, fellas. Thank you for indulging me on that. Um, all right, so let's talk about the AFC South first. What is one move that these teams should make after the draft, starting with the Colts? They now have their potential franchise quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Sully, what is the one thing that they need to do to be successful this season? Well, I think you referenced it right there. You know, this is more of a big picture kind of topic. I don't know if there's any roster move that I would specifically point to. For me, it would just be get Anthony Richardson as close to ready as humanly possible for week one. He is a guy that they've invested heavily in. They've identified him as the quarterback of the future at some point. It might not be week one. He's a prospect that hasn't been billed as a guy that's supposed to be week one ready. I mean, we talk about his completion percentage in college, sub 60. It seems like he needs a little bit more refining, but he's going to a team that expects him to be ready almost out of the gate. They have an owner, Jim Mercer, that's going to want him to play as soon as humanly possible. You're only going to get a few weeks of Gardner Minshew at best until the real, the beat starts drumming for a guy like Anthony Richardson to come in. So for me, it's, From now up and through training camp, up until the start of the season, set your guy up for success. Because once he goes in, there's really no looking back. Hey, funny, real quick, funny he said, set your guy up for success, Katie, just Mm. because that directly leads into what I'm about to say. And that is the Colts offensive line. You have got to upgrade. You've got to do something because you're not setting your guy up for success if he's back there getting mauled. And that might happen. You know, the Colts invested a lot of money in their offensive line in the years prior, but that line just wasn't good last season. And then they go into the draft. You think surely they will do something. Surely they will take an offensive lineman. No, they go the first three rounds, zero offensive linemen. They did eventually take a tackle in the fourth round. So they're basically going into with, to 2023 with what they had in 2022 and that was not a good offensive line so you're talking about uh some questions at left tackle some questions at right guard uh you know these are not holes you want to have when you're probably going to have a rookie quarterback under center for most of the season so i think that they need to figure out how to add depth or make the offensive line better at some point between now and the start of the season and to that point breach 28th in the nfl and adjusted sack rate Ooh, not great not great. Okay, well, that, that plays into my next question. So you like Anthony Richardson. Get your guy the protection, and you know maybe he'll have a good season. His odds for Offensive Rookie of the Year, 9-1, to one, Sully. Is that something you would play? Well, yeah. I mean, he's a quarterback, and, and almost to that point, to what Breach is saying, if the offensive line's terrible, he's going to be running for his life, and he's somebody who has the skill set to make plays with his legs. So almost by virtue of that, he's going to put up a ton of rushing yards, you would assume, right? They're going to highlight his skills in that regard early as he continues to develop as a passer. So there's an opportunity there where he's going to put up a lot of stats, could get in there as early as week one. I would say within the first month, he's probably in there as your starter going forward. And it just feels like that's a position that's going to get boosted just because he's a quarterback. Yeah, sure. Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs could fall into that as well, but he's someone who could put up Stats as a runner, obviously as a passer, you're in an AFC South that's not particularly competitive. There's a, there's definitely a path there for him. Absolutely. And you consider the fact that he's likely going to be the starter in week one that, uh, you know, rookie of the year goes to quarterbacks. It seems at least 50 percent of the time we've seen it two of the past four years with Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert. So 
Uh, and at nine to one, woof, yeah. And if the offensive line does hold up, what if twenty twenty two was an anomaly and yeah. this the, the unit all of a sudden looks better? Then Richardson could tear it up. So yeah, at nine to one, I would definitely sprinkle some on that. Like I'm just looking at like Justin Fields' numbers. So obviously yeah. he's someone who we've looked at as has to get better as a passer. I mean, even if you look at last season, and obviously last year was insane in terms of what he was able to do as a, as a runner, but as a passer. He had a 60.4 completion percentage with 2,200 yards passing. If Anthony Richardson can do that and then do what we expect he's able to do with his legs, that gets you in the running right there. Let's say that Anthony Richardson does what we expect, right, with his legs in in a Steichen offense, right? Maybe he's the next Jalen Hurts, and then they beef up this O-line, or last year was an anomaly. Six and a half wins for the Colts seems pretty low. The overjuice to minus 125 under plus 105. It seems like both of you would lean on the over here. I think that that's true. Just by virtue of the division, I'm trying to see with their strength of schedule. And that actually, you know, leans to that a little bit more. They have the 29th most difficult schedule in the NFL. So it's an easy road that they're going to be going down in 2023. And that's obviously based off of last year's win percentage total. So some things do change. It's not a, a perfect indicator of what the road is going to be ahead. But that entire AFC South is not going to face a super tough road. And you're talking about a Colts team that's not even playing a first place schedule or anything along those lines. So yeah, there's certainly a path for them to go above just by virtue of their division too. Yeah. And then you look at the rest of their schedule and they get to play the NFC South, which uh, if I got to pick the division I had to face in the other conference and I'm an AFC team, I would hundred percent pick the NFC South because those all feel like winnable games. Even if you didn't have a great season last year, like the Colts, uh, and they went one, four, and one in their own division last year. I feel like they can improve upon that. You win two or three games in your division, and then you only need to win four games outside the division to get over six and a half. So, yeah, it does feel like the over, I probably lean that, but uh, got to see how the <laughs> offensive line is playing closer yeah, to August, everything closer has to, to uh, go right there. Were you going to say something, Sully? Yeah, you're putting a lot of trust in a first-year head coach, a first-year quarterback that is a project quarterback. It's not like you're getting this clear-cut Trevor Lawrence type of guy that really could help ascend you. So there's certainly some risk there. Okay, so moving on to another one where there's certainly some risk. The Texans made a lot of offseason moves. They hired D'Amico Ryans. They drafted C.J. Stroud, and then they moved up to grab Will Anderson. Sully, you graded them a C on their draft, not based on what they got, but based on what they had to give up in the future. What is one thing that they need to make this offseason, I guess ahead of the season, in order to uh, make that draft not seem like a C to you? And you're setting me up for it because I'm looking at Will Anderson. It's kind of the same thing I'm talking about with Anthony Richardson. You have to make sure, more so I think even than C.J. Stroud, you have to make Will Anderson look like a guy that's worthy of trading up to number three. So again, you're with D'Amico Ryan, the defensive-minded head coach. You need to set him up for so much success right out of the gate because there's that much pressure on that player because of what the team had to give up to go get him at number three, which was their first-round pick in 2024, among other assets. I mean, we're looking at that pick alone as possibly a number one overall selection that could get a team, Caleb Williams out of USC, a game-changing Patrick Mahomes comparison prospect next year. So when you put it in that context, this guy needs to be a Khalil Mack, a Nick Bosa-type playmaker 
for this team to make you feel better about that selection. So for me, it's getting him in the building, working with D'Amico Ryans, a defensive mind, like I said, a former Alabama linebacker in his own right. He needs to be set up for success, or if all of a sudden he starts to struggle and this team in the Houston Texans is not competitive, as I think we all don't believe that they're going to be, you're looking at that number one overall pick for that type of a player, and whether or not that's fair or not, that's what's going to be the comparisons. Yeah, and and that is puts a lot of pressure on Will Anderson. And yeah. and you know what? Uh, I like your points, Solid, but I'm going to go to the other side of the ball with my uh, kind of question, what the Texans need to do now the draft is over, and that is I feel like they need to add some receiving help for C.J. Stroud. I mean, you're talking about a team that's going into the season with – Robert Woods as their number one receiver and, and nothing it's Robert Woods. I mean, but he, he's 31 years old. He hasn't yeah. got over 55 catches in either of the past two seasons. And so you're not giving CJ Stroud a lot of great targets to throw, throw to. And we're talking about a team that has a decent offensive line. Uh, you look at the running backs, Damian Pierce, Devin Singletary, uh, even their tight end group. They just signed Dalton Schultz. So, I mean, they have some good talent. It's just that, it feels like it's lacking at receiver. So you're throwing a rookie quarterback in there. You just want to make sure you have guys that he trusts and that he can throw to. So uh, I think if they could figure out some way to get a veteran in there, somebody a, a little more uh, with a, a better resume, I don't know. But it just feels like they need to upgrade at receiver before the start of the season. Well, well it's a tale of two different teams, right? You look at the team that drafted Bryce Young right above C.J. Stroud. They went into free agency to bring in Adam Thielen, Hayden Hurst, uh, uh, Miles Sanders. I forget what they brought in another wide receiver. It's names escaping me at the moment, but they're bringing in pieces. And I don't know if any of them are on the level of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase or anything like that, but they are possession receivers. That's going to make that quarterback's life easier. What the Houston Texans have right now, it's going to make CJ Stroud's life a little bit more difficult. What are some receivers breach um, that are available right now in free agency that you think would be a good fit? Uh, I mean, there are guys out there. Jarvis Landry is out there. I don't know if you want to kick the tires on Kenny Galladay. This is probably something where you wait till training camp goes. Maybe you call up someone and, and see if you can make a trade. Uh, because and kill Harry, Sammy Watkins. There are guys out there. Uh, and, and maybe that's why they didn't make a move. Or maybe they should have been more uh, pressing about this in free agency. Because once you get to May, uh, you know, that's not the time you need to be making these decisions. But clearly the Texans waited. Maybe they want to see who their quarterback was going to be. Maybe wanted to see how the draft was going to play out. And they did draft uh, a receiver in the third round. So maybe Nathaniel Dell, who went to Houston, maybe he ends up, he's staying where he went to college. Maybe he ends up being, uh, having a great training camp and they're thinking, all right, well now this is fixed. We don't need to worry about getting receivers. So this maybe can be something you don't have to worry about until training camp, but unless someone comes out and really shines, then you start going to the season. It's something you worry about. Yeah, you guys talked about how there's so much pressure on Will Anderson. He is the favorite right now for defensive rookie of the year at plus 350. Sully, do you you got to think under D'Amico Ryans, I mean, this defense is going to get better. He was the first one taken, you know, off the board in the draft as far as defensive players. Do you think he's there? Nothing is a lock, but do you think that he is the favorite for a reason or do you like someone a little bit further down the board? Well, I think, I mean, I think he's tied with Jalen Carter, right? Or at least that's when I first saw it a few weeks ago or whatever it was. I mean, he's somebody that, again, is not going to be asked to do a ton, Jalen Carter in Philadelphia, just because that yeah. defense is so loaded. But to me, maybe Nolan Smith is somebody that I think might present a little bit more value because he might be able to put up those sack numbers a little bit more than Will Anderson. 
it depends on, again, what this team is going to look like. Because if all of a sudden, if let's just play it out. If the Houston Texans are trailing in every game, then that's good for C.J. Stroud, his offensive rookie of the year numbers, because he's going to be chucking the ball all over the field to try to bring his team back. On the other side of the ball, you're going to have the opposition running the football, and all that's going to do is pile up some tackles for Will Anderson. We know that sacks win those awards. And so if all of a sudden we're not going to see a lot of game scripts in the second half, where these quarterbacks are dropping back, then Will Anderson's not going to have an opportunity to tee off and pile up some of those sacks that I think are going to be necessary. Yeah, I'd probably sprinkle money on some corners. I think at 5-1, to one, Will Anderson, the value just isn't there. Uh, and, you know, you have Witherspoon, Forbes, and Gonzalez, who all have about the same odds. I think uh, Gonzalez and Witherspoon are 10-1, to one, and for- Mayo Forbes is 15-1. Is to one. Uh, so I would just go for all the corners and, and hope the corner win it wins it just like uh, Sauce Gardner did in 2022. Yeah, Joey Porter Jr. too. He's I think he's like oh, 20 yeah. to 1. People, I don't, I, who RJ was on last week, he, I, I threw that out there. He did not like that, but I think there's some value there, especially because he's going to play with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Okay, moving down to the Jags. Coming off their first winning season in years, a lot of promise there with Trevor Lawrence. Seemed like protection of him was a key component of the draft. Uh, Sully, actually, I'll start with you, Breach. Breach, what would you do um, if you were the Jags right now before the season starts? I think they need to figure out something on the defensive side of the ball. You yeah. look at kind of what their issues are right now, and I would say it's probably uh, rushing the passer and uh, their cornerbacks and their secondary uh, probably could stand to be improved. And you look at what they did in the draft. Uh, first round, offensive player. They went with the tackle. Second round, offensive player, tight end. Third round, offensive player, went with the running back. So you look at what kind of their biggest needs were, and they didn't really touch on any of them in those first three rounds. So I thought that was a little bit surprising because when you look at that defense, I mean, the pass rush is really Josh Allen, and uh, you know you don't have anybody else that's even near his skill set or his level uh, after that. And then the secondary, I think, definitely needs a little bit of help. So those are two things that you're playing in a conference, the AFC, where – Every team has a good quarterback, so you do not want to go into the season with not a great pass brush and not a great secondary, or you're going to get diced up and you're going to get eaten alive. So I'd be a little bit concerned about those two things if I'm Jacksonville and look for a way to improve them. Yeah, I'm I'm the same there. I think it's pass rush. I think that's one thing they have to figure out. It's one thing that they didn't do in the draft, like you said, Breach. I mean, they're expecting a lot from Trayvon Walker going into year two, just three and a half sacks last year he's a number one overall pick you expect him to take that leap but you still need to deepen that unit I mean you have Trayvon Walker uh, Josh Allen like you said and there are guys available I mean you could you know that might be one of the deeper positions in terms of the free agent pool if you're looking at like a Leonard Florida Jadavian Clowney or Frank Clark those guys are available to you right now but to me it's all eyes on Trayvon Walker and whether or not he can take that leap because three and a half sacks for a former number one overall pick. They're expecting a lot out of him. And in a division, in a division where you are going to be the favorites, you should win that with Trevor Lawrence ascending into what we think he's going to be. And then if you're talking about continuing down the playoff path, yeah, you're going to need to make some stops against the likes of Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. And that's where Trayvon Walker and other guys come in. Uh, the vibes are high for the Jags. Their win total is set at 10. The over is juiced to minus 125. Uh, it'd be hard for me to say 11 wins for, for the Jags. What do you guys think? 23rd most difficult schedule in the NFL. You know, again, you just kind of quickly look at that to make sure that that's a possibility. But it's, again, you, you don't know. Maybe was last year kind of the the peak and now we're going to get a little valley and then, 
maybe we'll be good down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't I don't know. The, the arrow's trending up, but I don't know how high it's going up. Yeah. And and at nine and eight, it felt like they had a good season that really the second half of the season. Uh, but man, getting to 11 wins to hit the over, I would not feel comfortable at all. So if I had to make a bet right now in Jacksonville, I think I would go under. All right, moving on. Dom in the chat says that the Titans need to find an offensive lineman. And yeah, Tennessee finally put Will Levis out of his misery, taking him on day two. Uh, they clearly think that he's capable of being their future quarterback. All right, do you guys agree with Dom? Do they need to add to the O-line? Well, they got Peter Skaronsky and, and you know, with their first first round or for their first round pick in that draft. And that was kind of, you know, it felt like it was up to either Will Levis or Skaronsky that they were going to bring in. They bring in the offensive tackle or guard, whatever they kind of want him to be. I think he's probably going to start being the successor to Taylor Lewan. And you bring in a guy like Will Levis when he falls to you in the second round, you trade up in that bat, in that front end. But to me, I, I think it's more the wide receiver room than it is anything else. I mean, it was kind of like what we were talking about with the Houston Texans. You have Traylon Burks. And then there's really not much else there. So whether or not it's Will Levis or Ryan Tannehill, you kind of need a little bit more there in that room to make me feel like you can compete, not just in the AFC, but in the AFC South as well. I know it's not a crazy tough division, but you still have a Jaguars team that now has Calvin Ridley on it and Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be more prolific as a passer. And Derrick Henry is only getting older. I know that we yeah. keep saying this, but he is you know, unbelievable talent. He can carry this offense or has been able to carry this offense. But I don't know how much longer that's going to be able to last there. Yeah, the Titans just have issues all over the place. I mean, Tyler, I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, receivers because if you don't have any receivers, and who's the number one guy? Traylon Burks? I mean, like, sure, he can be. But if you don't have good receivers in there, teams are just going to stuff the box Stop Derrick Henry, dare the the Titans to throw. And look, Ryan Tannehill's actually been a pretty efficient quarterback when he has had people to throw the ball to. Uh, So I I don't know that their strategy of going into 2023 with not very many proven receivers is an effective one. Um, And I I do think you could make a case for the offensive line, as Dom pointed out in the chat. You know, I don't know if Andre Dillard, who they signed from Philly, is your future at left tackle. I don't know that he's an upgrade over Taylor Lewan. And then... You know what? But my actual problem is they need to get a kicker. Tennessee, mm. get a <laughs> kicker. They cut Randy Bullock earlier this offseason. Uh, they signed an undrafted free agent, Trey Wolf, last week. And then they also have Caleb Shudak, who was on, uh, who they had signed undrafted last season. So basically, the only two kickers on the roster right now are two undrafted guys who have zero regular season experience. And maybe the Titans are thinking, we're not going to play any close games. We're just going to get blown out a bunch. So we don't even care who our kicker is. I don't know. But get a proven kicker on your roster. I don't know who's out there. Robbie Gold. Call Robbie yes. Gold. I don't know. Someone. Robbie Gold. Sign yes. a kicker. Well, it's because Katie and my team uh, dominated the NFL draft and kicking market. That's really what was the problem for Tennessee. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, look at this win total. It seems like ev- beyond, you know, King Henry, the Titans seem to be a bit of a mess. Their win total at seven and a half and the under is actually juiced here. Minus 135. Do y'all think uh, that they can get eight wins if they get a kicker, if they, you know, beef up the O-line, do whatever it is that they need to do? It's going to be a tough road for them, I think. You know, Because I think that eventually, I think we some of us thought this last year, I know I certainly was in that camp where I thought that the rubber was going to finally meet the road with Ryan Tannehill because he was coming off a poor postseason the, the season before that with a bunch of turnovers. It was, a again, not a particularly prolific season for him, but it, they were able to somewhat stay afloat. 
here, I feel like at some point things are going to crack and you're playing in, in you know, let me see, you're playing, playing the Ravens, the Bengals, you're playing the AFC North. Yeah, you're playing the NFC, the NFC South. So that should help you pile up some wins. But you also have the Chargers in there, the Seahawks. You're, it's not going to be an easy path for you in 2023. So I might trend down for that. I think the flip side of that, though, is that you look at the fact that Tannehill missed five games last season. The Titans still went seven and ten. And if you look at the division, they went three and three in the division, even with all these struggles. Yeah. I think with me, I just don't like betting against Mike Vrabel. You look at his history in Tennessee. Uh, last season was the first time in his, what, he's been there five seasons. That was the first time he's had a losing record. So he's gone nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven, 11, five, 12 and five. Uh, so I think he can get them to eight wins. It's kind of like you don't want to bet against Mike Tomlin having a losing season because he's never had one. I don't like betting against Mike Vrabel, so I do think he can get this team to eight and nine. Good value there, too, plus 115. Um, All right, we're going to continue this right after the break. You're watching Pick 6. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. (laughs) All right. Welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. I am Katie Mox here with Breach and Sully. If you're not following us on social, go ahead and do that now at Pick 6 Pod across all social media platforms. Moving on to the AFC North, and we're talking about one thing that these teams can do to get ready for the seasons. Starting with the Ravens, a lot A lot of expectations on Baltimore now. You paid Lamar. OBJ joined the receiver room. You got Zay Flowers. What is one more thing that the the Ravens can do, Breach? Should Uh, I I would say they need to get their cornerback situation figured out. And look, obviously I have Marlon Humphrey. And I know they signed Rocky Asin, but is he that guy that you want over there? Is he good enough to be the other starting corner. I mean, you're talking about a team that had Marcus Peters has had Marcus Peters, but has decided not to resign Marcus Peters. So I think that is a position you have to watch closely uh, as you get into May. And then as you get into training camp in July and just make sure you feel comfortable with him because you're in a division with Joe Burrow. If you have one bad corner, he's going to dice you up. He'll throw for 400, whatever yards like he did uh, a couple years ago against them. So uh, I I think that's something just because of their division that, that, the Ravens just, you know, keep a close eye on Rockus in and and make sure he can handle that starting spot on the defense. Not even the division, the conference, too. I mean, this is a team that we're expecting now with Lamar Jackson in the fold and with a new contract to contend in the entire conference. And that means Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, all these guys, Tua, even with all those speedster wide receivers and Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, like that is going to be 
a tough matchup for them. I'm looking at the offensive side of the ball, and because now everybody is under the tent, they've added to their wide receiver room, bring in Odell Beckham, bring in Zay Flowers. I just want them all to get in the same page and Todd Monken's offense. I mean, this is a guy now that's the new offensive coordinator. The quarterback is now in the fold. How much can this offense change, and what is it going to look like in 2023? And, and I think it's going to translate into more passing attempts for Lamar Jackson. And so this is a guy that primarily has been dominant as a runner, but we've seen during his MVP year in 2019 that he also can be impactful as a passer. I think we're going to see a little bit more of an uptick in that regard. You know, you just look at Monken's past when he was with the Buccaneers, they led the NFL in passing yards per game, 320.3 in 2018, when it was Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And so I think you're going to see a lot more passing with Lamar Jackson in 2023. So for right now, it's, can you get on the same page with Odell Beckham? Can you bring Zay Flowers up to speed? Is Lamar Jackson comfortable in that type of an offense? So for me, that's what I think is most important between now and week one. It's to get familiar in that new offense. Well, Lamar Jackson said that he would like to uh, break Peyton Manning's record and throw for 6,000 yards in the next season. His odds for MVP right now, plus 1,500. Doable? I, I don't I don't know if uh, six thousand yards what, what he was saying <laughs> is necessarily doable, but I will say this: two of the five most prolific passing yard seasons that we've ever seen were over the last few years since they've changed it to seventeen regular season games. So he does have an extra game in his pocket True. to go crazy if that's what he wants to do. But I do think certainly he could be in the MVP conversation. This is a guy who's already won it before. If all of a sudden this team is they have a defense that should be able to shut teams down. Again, the cornerback problem is certainly something that's worth pointing out like Breach did. But if they're competitive and Lamar is showing that uptick as a passer like we saw him have in 2019 and able to maintain that rushing threat, yeah, he's going to put up a ton of stats. He's going to be an awesome fantasy player and he'll be in the MVP conversation for sure. Uh, you know, the one thing I will throw out about that 4,000 or 6,000 6, 6, 6, yeah. thing is that he's never even thrown for 3,200 yards Ugh. in a season. And we're talking about 6,000. And even if we throw in his rushing yards and we say, ah, oh, it's a little crazy, maybe he was talking about total yards. I don't even think he's ever totaled over 4,500 yards when you combine rushing and passing. So uh, 6,000 just seems like a pipe dream that will never yep. happen uh, in Baltimore. Maybe someone else, maybe Patrick Mahomes does it, but I don't think Lamar Jackson will be the first person to do it. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just think the AFC is too loaded. I am not going to bother betting any money on Lamar Jackson to an MVP. All right. Are you going to bother betting the nine and a half wins for Baltimore that over juice to minus 140? Good value on the under here, plus 120. Breach, 10 wins or no? Yeah, I think the Ravens can get there. They got the 10 wins this past season in 2022, even though Lamar was hurt for most of the season. Uh, they're usually a good football team. They've got a lot of talent. So, yeah, I think I would take the over. I think they can get the double digits. Similar to what we were talking about with Tennessee, I don't really like betting against Harbaugh either. So, yeah, I'm going yeah. over. Okay, now moving on to the Bengals. Breach, I'll start with you. But I think the one thing they need to do is pay Joe Burrow. Yeah, they definitely need to pay Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow's not going anywhere, so that's not something I'm worried about. His play on the field's not going to be impacted by whether he gets the extension tomorrow in August or next offseason. Uh, so I think they'll be fine on the Joe Burrow front. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, and that directly relates to Joe Burrow, is you can't let Joe Burrow get beat up, and that means mm. kind of figuring out your offensive line. Right now, 
You have Jonah Williams penciled in at right tackle. Jonah Williams does not want to play right tackle. Jonah Williams does not want to play for your team as a right tackle. He wants to be traded. So you kind of need to sit down with him and be like, look, man, are you in or are you out? Because if you're if your head's not in it, you can't be a right tackle in the NFL. You're going to get crushed. So it, it is figure out whether or not Jonah Williams is going to get traded. Because if you are trading him, then you got to go to plan B, whether that's Lael Collins, whether that's putting somebody else in at right tackle. And it's just interesting what the Bengals have done because they have a career right tackle in Orlando Brown who said, no, I'm a left tackle and then moved to left tackle and has been playing left tackle since after playing right tackle the first three of his career. And then they have a career left tackle in Jonah Williams who they were saying, no, you are now a right tackle. So their tackles are basically playing the opposite positions of where they started their NFL career. Uh, and I don't know if that always works out so well. So get the Jonah Williams situation figured out. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. I mean, you know, that's been the story, it feels like, with Joe Burrow and his young career is the protection in front of him. And, and if he had better protection, you never know. He could have a Super Bowl ring on his finger. The one thing I want to look at in terms of the offense, though, is the backfield. And just, like, what's the future going to be with Joe Mixon? I feel like it's he's somebody that is – I don't want to say, and Breach, you could probably speak more to this, but it's not that he's like a cut candidate or anything like that. I mean, he is owed $12.7 million against their cap this upcoming season, but he's coming off a year where he averaged 3.9 yards per rush. Wasn't particularly that prolific. It feels like there could be some change of the guard there. Again, I don't know how you would necessarily replace him. Is this a, a Zeke Elliott destination? And is that even better than what you have right now? But I just think that there's a little bit of murkiness in that backfield as it relates to Mixon to kind of maybe get that figured out before you get the season rolling. Yeah, and to that point, it is, you know, with Joe Mixon, it's all about the money, all about his cap hit. Uh, as you mentioned, 12.7, million, and they can free up a lot of money right away if they were to move on from him or they could say, hey, look, Joe, we want to keep you, but you need to take a pay cut. So I do think something will happen on that front at, at some point, probably before training camp. Uh, and, and, you know, they did draft a running back, so they added depth with Chase Brown. They like Travion Williams. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what they do at running back, but it does feel like running back and right tackle are the two things they just need to figure out before they get to training camp. Just because we talked about Lamar Jackson, I do want to throw this out here. Uh, Joe Burrow, second best odds, tied with Josh Allen for MVP at plus 700, received no votes last year for MVP. Breach, worth worth a sprinkle this year? Uh, I think Burrow will have a huge year. I just don't think he's ever going to have like the best year compared to other quarterbacks in the, you know, like Burrow might go out and throw for 5,000 yards, but Mahomes throws for 5,500 or yeah. Burrow throws 42 touchdowns, but Justin Herbert throws 44. I just feel like there's always going to be one person who will one up him in at least one of the statistical categories, which will kind of uh, crush his claim to MVP. So I, I don't think I would bet on Joe Burrow to be MVP, even though I do think he will have a fantastic year in 2023. Like you were saying, Breach, he would have to be. Two or three, it's tough to hit for him to lead every like category, anything along those lines. And maybe have to lead one and then also have the Bengals as the number one seed in the AFC. And then you could start really having that conversation. If he's like in the bronze medal, if he's at the podium for all of these awards, and then he's having his team to win to a number one seed in a bye, then I think you have that formula. But outside of that, yeah, I do. I think it's gonna be tough for him. It's hard when Patrick Mahomes is uh, in the league. Okay, moving on to the Steelers. The Steelers, I would say, had a masterful draft, uh, but Khan said during his post-draft press conference that they will continue to work to finalize their roster this summer. It seems like, you know, they added to the CB room with Joey Potter, 
Porter Jr. and Corey Trice Jr., the two juniors. What is it, uh, Sully, that you think that they should do uh, in the offseason? What are some of those two moves you think that they should do? Well, I think it's the secondary. I think it's kind of just figuring out a pecking order and how quickly Joey Porter can kind of come in and can he be a starter right away opposite of Patrick Peterson? Is is Sullivan still going to be the guy in that secondary? Yeah, so added Keanu, Keanu Neal at the safety spot. So for me, it's more of a how is this pecking order going to kind of work itself out? Is Joey Porter a set-and-forget day one starter? Do you, does he need to marinate a little bit before you can actually throw him out there to be a legit guy? That, to me, is what I think is going to be interesting, is just how can Patrick Peterson kind of foster this young group along and also have them compete in what is going to be, like we're, like we're talking about, a very competitive division with Lamar Jackson, with Joe Burrow, with Deshaun Watson, and you expand it even further, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. It's a tough spot for a young core to be in, but that's kind of where they're at right now. And can, can they kind of ascend and almost peak a little bit early out of the gate? Uh, yeah, it, and that's really what they're going to need to do is, is get hot out of the gate if they want to compete this year. And and for that to happen, they're going to need Kenny Pickett. Kenny mm. Pickett, I think, as Brinson <laughs> would say. Uh, and and Matt Canada to really be on the same page. And I think that one reason Matt Canada didn't get fired despite being just under – constant fire all season last year it was Matt Canada this Matt Canada that the Steelers offense can't do anything because of Matt Canada and in the end he keeps his job and I think one of the reasons was because Kenny Pickett progressively got better as the season went on and you don't want to fire your rookie quarterback's offensive coordinator when your rookie quarterback is improving uh so that improvement needs to continue if Kenny Pickett goes out and throws two or three interceptions in in each of the Steelers first three games uh that's trouble. That makes Matt Canada look bad. That makes Kenny Pickett look bad. So I think that the one thing here is that everyone on this offense has to get comfortable with Matt Canada, has to get comfortable with Kenny Pickett. Uh, and if, if Matt Canada can kind of turn this into a success, then Mike Tomlin will look like a genius for deciding to hang on to him uh, against what I think against the wishes of most Steelers fans. Yeah, you got Vic in the chat. That is definitely one of his wishes. If you look at their win total, eight and a half, Mike Tomlin never had a losing season. Looked like he was going to have one last season, and then he still came out on top. Eight and a half wins, overjuiced to minus 140, under plus 120. I just don't think you could bet against uh, Tomlin here, but what do y'all think? I'm not I'm not betting against him. He's never had a losing season, and, if, and all of a sudden he, had, he didn't have one last year with a rookie quarterback. That guy's going into year two now. You make improvements in the secondary. No, I'm not. it's tough for me to, to shy away and go under there. Yeah, if the Steelers were going to have a losing season, it really felt like it was going to happen last year. And the fact that he willed that team to nine wins, yeah, no more betting against Tomlin. I, I, I like the over here. <laughs> All right, moving on to the Browns. Uh, they didn't draft until the third round because obviously they gave up a lot um, for Deshaun Watson. They picked up wide receiver Cedric Tillman, who is really being widely seen as a sleeper pick. People are pretty excited about him. What's one thing that the Browns should do, Breach? I would say they need to kind of beef up their defensive depth. I mean, you're talking about, and we talked about a little bit with the Ravens and their cornerback situation and, and with the Browns, and really we mentioned this with Jacksonville too, is, is with the Browns is pass rush behind Miles Garrett isn't great. Uh, you know, your linebackers are all coming off of injuries and your secondary isn't very experienced. So you put that all together and you're asking these guys to go against Joe Burrow twice a year against Patrick Mahomes, against Justin Herbert, against Aaron Rodgers, against all these quarterbacks. That seems like a recipe for disaster. And then you don't even know if your offense can 
produce enough points that it might take to be in a shootout with these high-powered teams of the AFC. Uh, so it just feels like they've got to figure out a way to make their defense better before they get to training camp, before the season starts. I'm just going to go big picture because I think that, it, like you're saying, Breach, this is a team that should be competing in what is going to be a tough division and should be in that conversation to win it. It all revolves around Deshaun Watson. And now he has a full offseason, you know, however you feel about the guy. He now has a full offseason under his belt, and we need to see a better version of him on the field. Because if he's the player that we saw last year coming out off of the suspension, 58.2 completion percentage, seven touchdowns, five interceptions, just not good enough for you to give away as much as you did. And you're picking, like you were saying, Katie, starting in the third round, multiple first round picks, a fully guaranteed contract that's now looking like the outlier when we look at the rest of the quarterback market. If he doesn't look like the Deshaun Watson that we used to see in the in, with the Houston Texans, this could have the makings of an utter disaster that will be at the top of NFL ranking worst move history marks and all of that down the line in year, years from now. Because, again, he is supposed to be the savior for this organization. He is supposed to be the one that lifts up a, a poor defense or, or a limited wide receiver room or a bad backfield or whatever the cases may be. He's looked at as an elite MVP caliber quarterback, or at least they're paying him in that regard. And if he's a guy that's going to complete less than 60% of his passes, then this is just an absolute disaster. So for me, give him a full offseason with the organization and let's see what he can look like in 2023. Because if not, man, it's this could be really, really bad for Cleveland. It seems like one of those win totals that you maybe stay away from this year and don't bet it. They got the Browns right now uh, over at Caesars. Eight and a half wins. The over minus 175. Bookmakers obviously thinking that we see the better part of Deshaun Watson and not the utter disaster. As you said, Sully, under plus 150. It seems like you play the under at plus 150 or you lay off it completely. I don't know that I would go over on the Browns. Yeah, I don't, I don't find myself wanting to what could be, you know, you never know what could happen. This could be a last place team in the division. In that in, in the AFC North, so to me, uh, that's a stay away. If you, if anything else, well, on the flip side though is that you look at Deshaun Watson and you mentioned how bad he was last season, but as bad as he was, this team still went three and three with him as the starting quarterback. So if you if he just improves a little bit, they do feel like a team that could win nine or ten games. I would probably go your guys's route right the second and maybe lean to the under. But man, this is one team that wouldn't surprise me at all they come out and reel off a bunch of wins and compete for an AFC North title. Oof. Okay, moving on to the AFC West and the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions. I don't know what else this team could actually do. We thought that they were going to take a step, step back last year. That didn't happen. Sully, uh, what is one thing you're looking for the Chiefs to do? Well, I mean, I guess it's sit back, wait, and see how the quarterback market's going to reveal itself with the Joe Burrow and the Justin Herbert contracts. And then you have to reevaluate what you have with Patrick Mahomes. At some point, you need to rework that deal because currently he's the seventh highest paid quarterback from an average average annual salary standpoint. That's pro you're gonna now you're gonna be start talking about maybe he's eking out of the top ten once we start looking at what Herbert and Burrow are going to get. So for me, this team has pretty much everything set ready to go for another Super Bowl run, but you do need to take care of your quarterback at some point. Yeah, and I think that if you're the Chiefs, you really don't have any huge concerns. You want to make sure Mahomes has chemistry with his receivers, which clearly is not a problem. He lost Tyree Kill, and they go and win a Super Bowl. Now they lose their leading, leading receiver from 2022, Juju Smith-Schuster. Obviously, Kelsey was the leader, but as far as the receiving position goes, it was Smith-Schuster. He's in New England now, 
And so now you're going to need a new number one receiver for the third straight year. But I don't think Mahomes is going to have a problem with that because he'll literally throw to anyone. I think Solly could be on the Chiefs roster. I think you can get 600 yards just running, just just run a quick route. Mahomes gets you the ball. Boom, you fall down, get tackled for five-yard gains. All I'm season. ready for it. That'd be great. And then the <laughs> offensive line. You know, they brought in uh, Donovan Smith, probably playing left tackle, Juwan Taylor, right tackle. So you just want to build that chemistry because, you know, a lot of people just assume these guys will just come in. They're going to be good. They're going to play well. But when you bring in two new tackles, that leaves some question marks. You just got to make sure the offensive line, that the chemistry is there so that Mahomes isn't getting killed because that is the one way that the Chiefs season could go south. And by south, that would be like 10 wins instead of 13 uh, is, is if they have trouble protecting Mahomes. So just the offensive line chemistry is where I'd be if I'm the Chiefs. And I'll just throw this one out there too as, as kind of a bonus for the Chiefs. Just be available for whatever star kind of falls through the cracks and you are going to be the team that they want to go to. You're the defending Super Bowl champion. If there's a veteran that kind of gets cut, be available to those talented players that will go take a below market deal or alter their deal to get there in Kansas City to help you go back to back. And I'm thinking of guys like, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is one that immediately comes to mind. If all of a sudden he does want to get traded now because it kind of feels like we've been seesawing with him and the Cardinals if all of a sudden we go back and it feels like he does want to get traded if you're the Kansas City Chiefs you try to make that happen to really put yourself over the top Chiefs of course the favorite to win the Super Bowl plus 600 plus 350 to win the conference minus 150 to win the division um how do you feel about the Chiefs winning back-to-back Super Bowls it hasn't happened since these two banners behind me with the New England Patriots, so it hasn't happened in a long time. But if there was a team that was able to do it, <laughs> it's a Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid-led team. So for me, I, I think that it's certainly possible. But again, there's a reason why it hasn't happened in a, a few decades there. So it's, it's a, not an easy thing to do. Right, and I obviously agree with that. Look, they won the Super Bowl in 2019. We were having the same conversation. If any team can do it, it would be them. But we mm-hmm. saw how difficult it is. They got back to the Super Bowl. But they got smoked by the Buccaneers. And then yeah. it just it, it, the AFC is just so loaded. Like, I think the Chiefs are going to win the division. They'll probably get back to the AFC championship for the fifth straight year or whatever it yeah. is. But I, I, I do not think they will win two straight Super Bowls. Who let's say they who would you take in, in the in the conference? Um, who would who beats them? Is it the Bengals? It's always the Bengals. Katie. It's always, it's the, always Bengals. the Bengals. <laughs> okay, moving on to the Raiders. They got rid of Derek Carr. They picked up my Jimmy Garoppolo. Seems like they're making it the Patriots West out there in Vegas breach. What do the Raiders do to make sure that Jimmy Garoppolo is successful? Uh, well, Jimmy Garoppolo has apparently made a glass because no one gets injured more than Katie's True. crush. And so True. if you have a quarterback who has a tendency to get injured, I want to make sure I have some solid protection in front of them, and I'm not sure the Raiders have that. I feel like they could have at least tried this offseason to upgrade the offensive line a little bit. They didn't do it. Then they went to the draft, and you thought, surely they will pick an offensive lineman. They didn't do it. I think it was the first or second time in like 12 years that they didn't draft an offensive lineman. So was that surprising? And, you know, I'm not sure where you go because – you can't really trade teams don't want to give up their offensive line talent. There's not a ton of free agents out there. Uh, but I, I think that's the spot you got to figure out is make sure you can protect Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think one guy to keep an eye on, and again, I don't think it's a, you know, this a plus piece that they could bring in, but Isaiah Wynn, former New England Patriots tackle, former first round pick, Josh Ooh. McDaniels, very familiar with him. Katie, you were saying they're trying to turn it into 
New England West over there. So maybe that's the, that could be the latest guy who's still a free agent that possibly gets there at a, at a low deal. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's Jimmy Garoppolo, and I kind of had fun with this. I said put him in duck uh, in bubble wrap <laughs> before the start of the season because all this dude, the only thing that could happen right now that could hurt this season is for him to get hurt at some point during mini camp or OTAs or some freak thing that could happen during training camp. When he's healthy, he's able to take teams extremely far into the playoffs. When he's played at least 14 games, he's been to a Super Bowl or an NFC Championship. Outside of that, Katie, you, you well know, the 49ers have struggled. So if you feel like you have improved your quarterback position, going from Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo, he already knows the system. He knows everything in terms of what Josh McDaniels is going to want you to do as a quarterback in Las Vegas with the Raiders. At this point, put him in bubble wrap. See yeah. him week one. Just don't get hurt. It's so I mean, he, he had the what the 2019 season was the last time that he was healthy for uh, an entire season. And it's yeah, it's it's hard to say. I'm I'm hopeful for him that, you know, he that he is able to make an entire season. But who knows? Um, their win total seven and a half. That's at plus 120 uh, for the over. It seems like bookmakers are thinking that uh, under eight wins is the play here. Minus 140. I guess it all depends on Jimmy Garoppolo's health. And he hasn't, like we said, he hasn't stayed healthy since 2019. It's hard to say that they could get over this because it's not, you don't have Kyle Shanahan. You don't have, you know, Mr. Irrelevant. You don't have maybe all of the the quarterback room that you have in San Francisco. So if Jimmy Garoppolo goes out, the Raiders are screwed. Yeah, and if you're an overbetter on that, then, you know, you're sitting there, you could be sitting there in week four saying, oh boy, now we're talking about, you know, just a decrepit team going in without their starting quarterback in a division where there's Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson, who we think is going to be improved with Sean Payton and Justin Herbert and Patrick Holmes. That division's absolutely loaded with quarterbacks. And if you don't have one that's even remotely competitive, then, yeah, you're going to be sitting there with yeah. losing tickets. Uh, imagine the Raiders with Brian Hoyer <laughs> against Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert. Like, no, your season's definitely over, like you guys said. Yeah. All right, so moving on to uh, Herbert and the Chargers here. I feel like the last couple of years, the Chargers have been the sexy pick. Everyone, especially last year when they thought that the Chiefs were going to take a step down. Plus 2,500 to win the Super Bowl, 1,300 to win the conference, uh, plus 325 to win the division. Are the Chargers going to charge again? Um, or what's one thing that could actually keep them as exciting as all of their offseason news breach? Uh, well, the thing about the Chargers is, like, why is one of your most dynamic offensive players coming out and complaining and demanding trades? Like, keep the guy happy. I mean, yeah. this isn't a situation where, uh, and we're talking about Austin Eckler and making his trade demand, is that he is a very dynamic player. This isn't a guy who you're just handing the ball off to. He's also Justin Herber's, Herbert's safety valve. I mean, th he's a guy who is catching... He caught over 100 passes last year. He's a huge part of your offense. And so I do think this is the one thing they need to figure out before training camp is, are we tied to Austin Eckler? Is he going to be a part of our future? Are we going to, he's going to be much happier if you give him an extension. And if you don't, then he's just going to be, you know, you have this disgruntled guy in your backfield. So uh, figure out if Justin Her or Austin Eckler is part of your long-term future. Yeah, that's definitely the number one on-field situation for the Chargers is, you know, you're you're a team that shouldn't be in the business of losing talented players at this stage. You have a quarterback that's ready to ascend to be an elite MVP caliber guy. You should be on track to contend. I know it's difficult because there's the Chiefs variable in all of this in terms of competing for the division title, but 
under normal circumstances, you're a team that should be favored to win a division and make the necessary steps forward. But again, if you lose a guy as dynamic as Austin Eckler has been over the last few years, and if he continues to be that, then yeah, no, that's difficult. For me, it's the Justin Herbert contract situation. I just think that that's something that let listen. Let's not this, let this bleed into the season. Yeah. Let's let let's get this thing done. And I'd be curious for you, Breach, because you're you kind of feel like you're in like this cold war between Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Who's going to get the contract first? Are you hoping that Burrow goes first? Because then if Herbert goes first, the number gets even higher. Like, where are you at on that? Uh, I do think, obviously, as a Bengals fan, you want Burrow to sign first just because if Herbert signs first, it's going to cost the Bengals more money. But that being said, I think there is more pressure on the Chargers to get the deal done first because if if Burrow signs a deal that's, say, worth $53 million dollars, now you're the Chargers. You have to somehow justify giving $54 million a year to a guy who doesn't have any playoff wins. You know, Burrow has a track record being the two straight AFC title games, being to a Super Bowl. So if you're the Bengals, you don't mind writing this check at all. And obviously the Chargers don't mind either, but there is that little thing nagging in the back of your head that says, oh, he just doesn't want a playoff game and has kind of not played so great in a few of these clutch situations. Uh so, yeah, if I'm the Chargers, I want to get the deal done before Burrow gets some of the Bengals. All right, moving on to the Broncos. Uh, horrible season last season. You get Sean Payton. You still have Russell Wilson. You spent the most money in free agency. You got Mike McGlinchey, paid him a ton of money. You added to your depth chart on defense. Uh, Sully, what, what do the Broncos need to do? I think they need to figure out the wide receiver room. The last I checked, they have 12 wide receivers on their roster. And again, it's a 90-man roster. Things are definitely going to change between now and week one. But we're still talking about a wide receiver room that has Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, K.J. Hamler, and then they just drafted Marvin Mims with their first pick in the draft. And so to me, it feels like there's another shoe that's going to drop here. And all offseason, it's been, is Jerry Judy going to be traded? Is Cortland Sutton in trade rumors? And the, and the Broncos and Sean Payton have kept saying, no, we're not trading those guys. We're not in the business of doing that. And yet it also comes like two days after there's a report that's like, oh, okay, well, they might do it if it's a first-round pick or a high-day two pick. And they draft a wide receiver with the first pick that Sean Payton has ever had running the Denver Broncos. So I feel like there's another shoe that's going to drop in the wide receiver room for the Broncos, whether that be Judy or Sutton or Patrick or something along those lines. For me, it's to get that figured out and then move forward with it. Because, again, you're not getting rid of Mims. You just drafted them. To me, it might be Judy who they picked up the fifth-year option on, but maybe they, they they look at that and say, hey, now we can trade him because he has two years of team control. That makes him a little bit more appealing for other teams. To me, it's to figure out what that wide receiver room is going to look like. Uh, yeah, that would be my number one priority, except that you got to make sure there's a quarterback who can throw a football to the wide receivers. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the wide receivers don't matter. They have Jared uh, Stidham. What are you talking about? Well, that is true. They can throw Jared in there if uh, the Rust bus can't get back on the street. And so, to me, that's the one thing that has to happen. If this means Russell Wilson's having sleepovers at Sean Payton's house every night between now and the start of training camp, Whatever has to happen for Sean Payton to help Russell Wilson, to fix Russell Wilson, to make Russell Wilson look like the quarterback he was a few years ago, that has to happen because the Broncos just aren't going to be competitive unless Russell Wilson figures out how to turn things around. I mean, the biggest headline we saw from Russell Wilson this offseason was crashing a golf cart, you know? And, and so what we want to see is, hey, look, no, now he's throwing touchdown passes to his wide receivers. Now he's throwing, he's 300-yard games. So the the... Broncos have to keep their fingers crossed and Sean Payton that Sean Payton can fix Russell Wilson. I think that is their their biggest issue right now.
I I think they might be running the ball a little bit more, even when they drafted McGlinchey. That's kind of what that signaled to me. Uh, So if we look at their win total, eight and a half, uh, book split on this one, both minus 110. I guess it all depends on which Russell Wilson you think you're going to get. I would lean over here just because of the respect I have for Sean Payton. What do you guys think? I I have the respect for Payton, but I don't, I don't know if we're going to see Russell Wilson take as big of a leap as I think they're going to need for him to get over that. I think we're going to see a better Russell Wilson than we did, obviously, in 2022. But I don't know if that's going to be this seismic leap because he wasn't that great in Seattle over his last few years either. I mean, heck, they just put in Geno Smith and they were a playoff team. They were a much better offense with Geno Smith as their quarterback. So they improved after getting rid of the guy that we're talking about, hopefully ascending his franchise with Sean Payton. So I, I would lean under here, but maybe it's just a stay away in general. Wait, what's the number? Eight and a half. Uh, why would you do that? <laughs> it's sharp. <laughs> yeah, I would probably lean under too. I think that Sean Payton, if Sean Payton goes eight and nine this season, that's a three win improvement that it, that makes him look good. And so I think really any win total over the five and 12 they have last year would be considered a success for Payton uh, in his first year. So I'm going to take the under and say he goes eight and nine. Okay, on that note, we're taking a quick break. Watch a pick six, and we'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we got another uh, family <laughs> reality show, The Family Stallone on Paramount Plus. That looks like an interesting one. All right, welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm Katie Mox here with John Breach and Tyler Sullivan. Today's the AFC Key Post Draft Move Show. Make sure you join us all week long to keep up to date on all of your NFL offseason news. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the YouTube page. One last division, kind of saving the best for last. I don't know. Uh, The Bills. I don't bet futures on the Bills anymore because they broke my heart two years in a row, guys. Two years in a row. But what is one move that the Bills should make in order to not break my heart again, Breach? Uh, I'm just going to say maybe add a receiver, maybe add some receiving depth. I I just feel like they really – Gabe Davis is the most up-and-down guy just he'll have these huge games, then he'll disappear for spurts. And so you just, Stefan Diggs doesn't always have that help he needs from a number two guy. And so I feel like if the Bills can get their passing game going, and they're clearly thinking about that because they did draft a tight end uh, in Dalton Kincaid. They went out and got him in the first round. And they also drafted a receiver in the fifth round. So, you know, it, it does seem like they said, hey, we need to add some pass catchers. And so... Uh, just somebody needs to emerge behind Stefan Diggs that Josh Allen can trust. Trust. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I do think that Kincaid is going to be that guy. I, I think that 
you know, yeah, would you know, would it make a little bit more sense if they brought in a Zay Flowers or a Jordan Addison or something like that? Yeah, sure. But I do think that Kincaid could be like their quasi slot receiver, and you still have Dawson Knox as your tight end. So I, I think that they will have that there. But I'm with you. I do think that they could stand to bring in another wide receiver. Who knows? Maybe this is the DeAndre Hopkins team. I mean, Von Miller has mm. been talking about that, so this could be that team again. You know, it does feel like the Cardinals have patched things over, so like you know, that might not be imminent trade out of Arizona, but if there was going to be one, this would be a team that, you know, very similar to the Chiefs. You're a Super Bowl contender. You should try to find these talents that fall through the cracks there. And speaking of that, I think they should continue to bolster their backfield. I think that this could be a fun Ezekiel Elliott team. I know that they signed Damian Harris in free agency. They have James Cook. They have Naeem Hines. But I don't think that you can have enough of a stable of backs for this team that really struggled to put teams away late. That was one thing that really, you know, for them, it just didn't feel like their MO. They feel like they're this high flying offense that wants to pass it all over the field. But when they have a lead, they can't bleed clock in the second half. And that to me has been a big, a big Achilles heel for them. So that's why I think they need another, another running back. But all, on top of that, Josh Allen's been talking about changing the way he plays football and not having that physical style that he, he said he's a football player first and a quarterback second, and now mm-hmm. he, he knows at some point he has to flip that. I think that that really is telling to say, okay, they're going to start running the ball with their backs more so than they're going to start running with Josh Allen. And so if you can have bruisers like Damian Harris and Ezekiel Elliott back there to split the time and not expose Josh Allen to so much abuse as a runner, even though he's extremely talented at that, I think okay. that that will help this team. Uh, you talk about adding a receiver or maybe using uh, running backs a little bit more, opening up this pass game. Josh Allen's receiving yards, excuse me, passing yards are set to 4,300 and a half. Breach, if they add to this wide receiver room, do you think he gets over that? Uh, yes. I th- just think with 17 games, I think that he could probably easily clear 4,500. I think he hit that number in 2020. Uh with 16 games so yeah i would hit i would take the over what, what was it again katie excuse me four thousand three hundred and a half. yeah i mean he's done it twice over the last two years he almost did it last year yeah i would i would say go over on that and, and then all of a sudden if they get a guy like deandre hopkins then forget about it that, that number's gonna get moving oh uh, yeah so and, and he only played 16 games last year if he had played 17 games because they had the cancel game uh he almost certainly hits the over last year all right, so hammer this over, minus 15. Okay, moving on to the Dolphins. Obviously, biggest question mark here is Tua and his health. Other than that, they look pretty good with him at center. Breach, what's one thing they should do? Uh, well, when you're talking about Tua's health, you need to keep him healthy by yes. keeping him upright. So I just maybe, I don't know how big of an issue their offensive line is, but you just want to make sure you don't have a bunch of huge question marks. And I do think they have a couple right now, uh, whether that's at uh, Austin Jackson's a right tackle, maybe a, a couple issues at right guard. And remember, it was handed. So you don't want to have issues on the right side of your offensive line. Um, and again, we've talked about teams that have offensive line issues. It's not easy to upgrade those at this point in the off season or at any point between now and the beginning of the season. Uh, but if I'm the Dolphins, that's definitely a concern that's sticking in the back of my head, knowing what kind of health issues my quarterback has had over the past couple of years. Yeah, that's certainly a good one. And, you know, this team is 
they have a lot of skill position plays. They got a lot of speed, so it doesn't. And they really made a great move, I thought, bringing in Jalen Ramsey this offseason to kind of counter what everybody's doing in terms of adding pass catching help and this. And Aaron Rodgers coming into the division, that's a great counter to all of that to to help that defense. To me, I think that if you're nitpicking a little bit, I would say maybe bring in a tight end. I don't know which one you would be able to bring in, but you lose Mike Gesicki in free agency, and, and I say lose lightly because it felt like they were more than happy to let him go. It doesn't necessarily fit. <laughs> the Mike McDaniel scheme in terms of what they want out of a tight end. But if they could find someone that obviously is not George Kittle because those guys don't grow on trees, but someone who can be effective as a blocker, but also still be a threat as a receiver somewhere on the market to a lesser degree, a, a, a C version, a D, even a D plus version of that. I think that that's probably what they should start exploring. All right, Sally, moving on to the Patriots. You weren't really happy with free agency. You didn't grade them very well in the draft. What can your team do to have a good season? I was saying it before the draft. I was saying it all through the draft, and I'm saying it after the draft. This team needs an offensive tackle. They should have, you know, I, I, I understand the Christian Gonzalez pick. I'm not going against that because he was a, talent, a top 10 talent, arguably the top corner in the draft. He fell to you twice at 14 and then at 17. So I don't knock that. And there really wasn't a tackle available to you other than Broderick Jones at 14, which you let the Steelers get, but they still need one. Nonetheless, they have nobody signed of real worth beyond this season, whether it be Trent Brown or Riley Reef. There's just not a lot there in terms of talent. Sure. You could bring back Isaiah Wynn, who, like I was saying earlier, is still in the free agent market. But again, not someone that's super exciting. And when you're talking about a quarterback in Mac Jones that has struggled mightily when facing pressure last year, yeah, the offense should be better under Bill O'Brien. They bring in guys that have a little bit higher ceilings, going with Juju Smith-Schuster over Jacoby Myers, Mike Asicki certainly over John U. Smith. But if he doesn't have time to throw anybody the football, then I, I don't know what we're doing here. You know, one guy I think might be – Interesting breach is Williams that you have. I mean, if he's if he's trying to get out of Cincinnati, maybe there's something to be worked out with there. But ultimately, they need to find a tackle of the future, whether it be now or later, because right now that, that offensive line doesn't look particularly impressive. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That was exactly what I was going to mention. That maybe Bill Belichick needs to call up the Bengals and say, hey, look, uh, why don't you send Jonah Williams our way? We'll give you guys whatever you want. Because look, Mac Jones was under fire all last season. You can blame Matt Patricia, but it was Mac Jones on the field taking that heat and uh, everybody screaming, this guy's regressing. He looks horrible, even though he had a defensive coordinator running his offense. And so you would think if you want Mac Jones of two years ago that you would help him and helping him would be putting an offensive line around him. You can't just have this giant hole on the offensive line, especially at right tackle, as Tyler mentioned. And look, there's a reason Riley Reef is on his fourth team in four years. If he was a great offensive lineman, these teams would not be letting him walk. And he's played for the Vikings, the Bengals, the Bears, now for the Patriots. Uh, so that definitely is an issue and something that the Patriots need to figure out what to do because again if Mac Jones is just taking hits all season he's not going to be able to get the ball to these pass catchers that the the Patriots added like Juju Smith-Schuster and the, the offense is going to look as bad as it did last year uh no I take that back that's not possible the look okay <laughs> but you know get him some protection all right last but not least the Jets they got Aaron Rodgers they got Alan Lazard they got Randall Cobb they took care of their O-line in the draft breach what else can they do? They got a nine and a half win total. I like the over. A lot of people on the under. What can they do? 
Well, I don't think they did take care of their O-line in the draft, mm. and that actually is the huge issue here. They did draft an offensive lineman in the second round, but I think when you look at what the Jets' issues are, it is all on the offensive line. They still have a bunch of issues there. Uh, I, I mean, we're literally having Jets' offensive line drama this past weekend with Makai Becton tweeting out that he's the left tackle, and Robert Sala saying like, yeah, no, you're not. Uh, you're going to have to go out and earn it, buddy. We're not giving you the left tackle position. And that right there is a total yeah. disconnect. We have one player who thinks he's the left tackle, and the head coach is saying, yeah, we don't trust you right now to put you in front of our prize quarterback. So they absolutely have to get the offensive line figured out. And even a lot of the guys that were already on the offensive line, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Dwayne Brown, a couple of these guys, are they're coming off serious injuries from last season. So you don't know what they're going to look like in 2023 plus the whole Makai Becton thing and so you know Aaron Rodgers is not going to be able to do anything if he's flat on his back the entire season so they got to get the offensive line figured out yeah I think that's the number one thing breach and you know they kind of got thrown for a loop in that draft because the Steelers traded up to get Broderick Jones right in front of them and then they kind of had to pivot to go to Will McDonald I think if Broderick Jones was there I think that they're picking him and then they're kind of just trying to solidify their tackle position with him so to me yeah you gotta you gotta figure out your masthead in terms of how you want to go forward with your with your offensive line because you know yeah Aaron Aaron Rodgers is it's not like Mac Jones like we were just saying where he would you know freak out under pressure Rodgers is way more talented so he will be able to deal with that but still you don't want your almost 40 year old quarterback under siege all the time in a division where there's Vaughn Miller I mean it's just it just doesn't feel like that's a recipe for success there so for me yeah definitely offensive line that hopefully we don't see a lot of that meme of Aaron Rodgers looking crazy on the ground uh, after he got sacked. All right, we kept you a little bit late today, guys. So we're going to cap it here on behalf of myself, Breach and Sully. Thank you so much. Make sure you join us tomorrow for the Brady Quinn Football Show. And of course, remember to like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube page. For everyone listening to audio only, do the same. Download, follow, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends to listen and watch the pod. We'll see you tomorrow. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.